I'm Jen. And I'm Jen. Welcome to Marginalia Pod. Where we treat reading as a sacred practice and find meaning and connection through our favourite books. I would like to begin by acknowledging the Gurungai and Daru people, traditional custodians of the land where I am recording today, and pay my respects to their elders past and present. I'd also like to acknowledge Tungata Finawa of Te Whanganui Atara, where I'm recording today. How's lockdown for you? How a lockdown is just a delight, isn't it? Isn't it just the best? We're recording this right after we published the February episode <laughs> where we were like, oh, just give us a wee lockdown. I could get so much done. I know. And I love that <laughs> the theme of that episode was fate because I'm like, talk about tempting fate. Now we're both back in lockdown. And it, yeah, it does not yeah. feel good. It does not feel good to hear me saying, oh, you know, just two weeks. It'd be so good. No, no past self. It would not. It's good if you have, like, prepared for it and you can get things delivered, which I think you guys can't get things delivered. Your lockdown is, like, a serious one, right? Yeah, so you can get groceries delivered, but it's hard to get in the queue. And I also don't want to do it because I think of people who actually can't go outside because you know, for various reasons. They should get those delivery slots. There's actually nothing wrong with me, so I can go to the supermarket. But um, we can't get takeaways or anything like that. Mm. So you have to cook or you go hungry. And um, we found out on Tuesday that there was a case, and by Tuesday night, that locked down the whole country. So when we heard there was a case, everyone kind of thought, mm, they're going to lock us down. Yeah. But you still only had a couple of hours, really, to prepare. And my right. preparation was going to the supermarket, buying some salt, which I've been out of for uh, weeks. Oh, no. We better go buy some salt and then and I bought biscuits and some chocolate and then when I got home I'm like you have no milk or butter or bread so good job self oh I'm sorry so I had to go the next day but anyway it's fine and I did get my vaccination on Monday so that was nice yay you're halfway there I know that I've completely forgot about that because this week has just been so long because we've had this random lockdown in the middle. But mm. this week is like Levi's freshman year. Yeah. Lockdown time is freshman in college time. Yeah. Every day equals one week. It's like that. Oh, my gosh. Oh, well, despite all of this, did you have a moment of wonder? I did have a moment of wonder. So I, because I live on my own, um, I'm allowed to have a singles bumble with another single friend. So my friend lives just down the road from me, um, half an hour's walk. So we decided to have a bubble. We had a bubble together at the lo- the first lockdown we had as well. Um, anyway, I went round to his on Thursday night and he made a delicious risotto and we drank wine by the fire and it was lovely. And it was a beautiful, clear night. So I was looking up at the stars and I was like, oh, I think I can identify that constellation. And he was like, no, you can't. I'm like, yes, I can. And it was Scorpius. And I've got an app on my phone so I could look it up. And I'm like, see, I was right. Now I know Scorpius is not the hardest of constellations to identify because of Antares. So it's really easy to be like mm. it's the red star and that's where it is but then because I could recognize that I could then see Sagittarius underneath it and then Capricorn to the side because I knew where they were and it was just like a real lovely moment because I kind of love astronomy and I I've loved it since I was really little so Scorpius was the first constellation I was taught to identify and then Orion so those are the two that I know and of course the sun and cross but yeah so it was just like a really lovely moment where I'm like look little Jean I can still do it I still <laughs> have this little knowledge inside me so yeah, it was just cute. That is beautiful. I think that's one of my favorite things about constellations is it's something that we teach each other and we learn and pass down. Like humans have always looked up at the sky, but the fact that we assign meaning to the images that we see and then tell other people and then that gets turned into a story that we tell even more people. Like, I just really love that. It's just beautiful. There's something very primal about it, hey, because mm. it goes back to our first beginnings as human beings, like this yeah. whole idea of giving meaning to the stars. I love that. Yeah. How about you, Moment of Wonder? 
Um, I had a weird moment of wonder this week. I went to bed super early on Wednesday, just by accident. Uh, my husband runs a D&D group on Wednesday nights, and I put the kids to bed, and they are so sleepy and warm that I usually mm-hmm. fall asleep. I tried not to, but I was so tired. So I ended up waking up at 5 o'clock, like just awake, and I realized the bin had not been taken out, so I had to like put my shoes uh. on and take <laughs> the bin out at five in the morning rather than it having gone out the night before and I was walking outside and like the moon is quite bright at the moment and the stars were out and they're they're not very clear usually in Sydney but I could see a few like I could see Orion and I was like I didn't know you were out in August that's all right like (laughs) there you are friend it's just this really nice moment of like it's not that cold in the mornings so I was really enjoying it even though I was out there in like a singlet and Ugg boots and leggings and I was dragging a bin to the verge but I just like I really love my neighborhood and I really love where I live and I love how close to like the bush I am and I like that we're also still really close to the city but I just had this really quiet moment of like going to bed early getting up early feeling rested being awake early but not like upset about it and not feeling like tired and cross about Mm. it It it's just really beautiful and like the world is better right before dawn I think I think that is a good observation too bad I'm not going to see it again for another year at least. I mean, I'm not a morning person, but I do know that when I wake up sometimes and you are well rested and you get up for that early morning, the world does feel, I don't know, new in a way that it doesn't mm. feel any other time. It's better. Well, this week we're reading chapters 25 through 38 through the theme of kindness, which is something we all need a little extra of this week. Indeed. Do you have a theme story for us? I do. So... I'm going to generalize and just say that I think Kiwis in general are incredibly kind. I think it comes from living in a small country, so you can't really afford to be mean um, or to burn bridges because chances are you're going to run into people again or someone who knows someone who knows someone is going to know you. Mm. So being a decent human being is actually just the sensible course of action, not just the right one. I owe my entire life here actually to that kindness and in particular to the kindness of two people. So I thought I would talk about that. When I first moved to Wellington in 2014, I didn't know a single soul here. And I didn't know how that was going to go, really. You know, you go to a new country and you sort of just go, well, I'll just see how it goes. I had heard previously that it's hard to make friends in Wellington in particular um, because it's quite insular and clicky. Most people already have their friends and their group of friends and they're not really welcome to bringing other people in. But then I'd come from London and London is not particularly warm or inviting. So I didn't think much of it. Before I started my new job, though, one of my colleagues actually reached out to me and said, hey, come in, we'll go for a coffee, I'll show you around before you start your day. So that was really nice. So a week before I had to start, I already knew some people and she got me settled in. And she would go on being unfailingly kind to me for months after that. Um, She'd invite me to football matches with her friends and she would ask me to lunch and she would sit with me at like staff meetings and things like that. She was always kind of looking out for me. And all those things that you kind of take for granted when you're settled somewhere, but that's so incredibly precious when you're new somewhere because you don't actually know Mm. and she didn't have to do any of it she didn't know me or owe me anything but she did it and as I started making friends on my own she eased off and while we're not like super close we're still friends and I'll never forget that initial kindness she showed me it's a kindness like that which makes those lonely moments of being a new place bearable I think and it gives you the confidence in your decisions and it stops you essentially from running away because you are in that fight or flight mode I think when you're facing those initial struggles in a new place her initial kindness really kind of settled my nerves a bit and because of all that I was then able to foster a friendship with another colleague and that friendship has actually turned into one of the most important relationships of my life so this is actually a shout out to my friend Meredith who has been an unerring force of kindness 
and good in my life pretty much from the moment I've met her. She let me borrow her car when she didn't even know me so I could collect my belongings from the airport cargo bay. She let me cuddle her dogs when I was sad and homesick. When we worked together she would share her fancy loose leaf green tea with me and we'd sit upstairs every day at 3pm unloading all our frustrations and sharing our joys and bonding over our love of Seinfeld and One Direction and Taylor mm-hmm. Swift. Meredith would pay for my lunches when I was broke. She even went to a bar with me when I was overtaken by that untethered recklessness that demanded I need a wild night out immediately, even though she had no interest in having a wild night out. She basically just sat there and let me get drunk and took me home. Um, she's driven me home in the rain more times than I can count. She answers my calls when I'm in tears and she buys me flowers for absolutely no reason just to cheer me up. Uh, she has hosted me for Christmas two years in a row now and she let me carry on about Harry Potter to the point where she is now reading it for the first time and talks to me about it. And like I owe both her and her husband an incredible debt of gratitude for the kindness and the love they have shown me for the last seven years that I've been in Wellington. And they continue to show me that every single day. She's joked that I am the little sister she's never wanted. (laughs) And um, she is just actually one of the most incredible people I know because she is kind. And she took in a little stray from Australia and opened her home to me when I didn't have anyone else. And she changed everything for me. So we're Fano, and I can't repay that kindness, but I will always continue to try. Oh, I love it. And, you know, you like you couldn't repay it to her, but there's going to be someone else down the line who, when you're feeling much more confident and settled, walks in and is like, what do I do? I don't know anybody. I'm from somewhere else. And you're going to be like, this is my time to shine. And you'll I can be pay the it one. forward. Exactly. You'll yeah. be the one with green tea and you'll be the one with the listening ear. I can only aspire to be as awesome as Meredith is. I honestly have so many friends that I'm like, they're just goals. And I'm so lucky to be able to be their friend. That's how I feel about a lot of my friends. And I'm just like, they're just amazing. They're just like better people than I could ever hope to That's be. That's how I feel about all my friends. <laughs> yeah. Right. Like, why are you with me? I'm a garbage fire. <laughs> I mean, thank you and I love you, but like, why? Explain. I don't understand. Oh, <laughs> I love this. I love that you had friends to help you. I mean, I was even speaking about it last week when I was talking about the friend that I had who really helped me get settled in Australia. Like, having that one tether is so important. Mm. As an adult, it's almost impossible to make friends if you don't make them through work or through someone who knows someone. You can't just wander around like you do as a kid being like, will you be my friend? Which I think we should be allowed to do. Yeah. Do you want to do some chapter summaries for us? I would love to. Regan sets some ground rules for Kath and Levi now that they are actually officially dating. Professor Piper has some encouragement and insight for Kath, who is still on the fence about actually finishing her assignment. Levi offers to drive Kath home, but the drive gets hairy as a snowstorm descends, and he has to meet her dad and stay the night at her place. It's okay, he sleeps on the couch. (laughs) Ren is hospitalized for alcohol poisoning, and Kath is forced into interaction with their mother. Yes. I was like rage quitting the universe because of this woman. I know. I just wrote in the margins, this person is horrible. There were so many moments where I was just like, why would you do this to a child? Why would you do this to anybody? And like, also, you're not being kind. You're not not intruding. You're actually just being a jerk and a coward. Yeah, that's right. That Like our theme was kindness, but that mm. was the perfect example of there was no kindness there nothing she did was kind she was there out of a sense of obligation and even that was forced and not authentic right 
Yeah, and she ran when it got sticky. Like, I would like to talk a lot about the kindness, but I think it's good to get this out of the way. But there was a really Mm. beautiful part right at the end where Kath is saying, like, I shouldn't have to earn you. Mm. It's not my job to want you or not want you. It's not my job to earn you. That's on page 359. And she's basically telling her mom, like, you have this opportunity and you are leaving. You are walking away. The way I see it is Kath is sort of saying, well, this is just proving that you're just going to leave. If you stayed, if you saw it through, if you were uncomfortable but continued on, that would say more than like all of the platitudes in the world and she still gets up and leaves and I was just like how do you miss this yeah I know I was so proud of Kath because this is such a clear example of her one setting her boundaries and also communicating what she needs and you know she says to her mum on page 360 now is all you get wishing she could make more sense wishing for more words or better ones now is all you'll ever get and I don't think she needed more words I think that was totally fine like that was very clear being like this is your chance to show to me that you're serious about having a relationship with me you're not gonna leave me on my own in an emergency department while my sister is basically unconscious Mm. and she's like yeah nah well and i love how she also put some of that blame right back on laura page 359 ren is unconscious and if you think that has nothing to do with you you are skimming the surface Mm. of reality and i'm right here and you haven't seen me in 10 years and you're leaving now like she's saying your daughter has alcohol poisoning she's unconscious if you think that that has nothing to do with you you are telling yourself a lie and i am here and i don't want anything to do with you but you say you want a chance and this is your chance and you're walking away from it like she's just so relentless and it isn't kind kath isn't kind about this but she's honest and it is true and I think it's really important that she says it yeah and I think you're right about the stories we tell ourselves right because Laura is telling herself a very different story than the one that is real right and you see that on page 360 again when you know she says I don't belong here she said again I won't intrude like this like she's told herself that this is a family moment and I'm not close enough to them to absolve herself of the guilt of it right I hate her so much but I thought it was (laughs) I know me too I thought it was really interesting that Kath describes her as the cool one and Mm. she talks about her walking away shoulders back and hips swaying Kath thinks she's like her father right she thinks she's like art yeah so if Kath is her dad does Ren become Laura or is Ren trying to become Laura yeah yeah I love this parallel and I think about it a lot because I we don't have a lot of information about Laura. We don't know what she's like, except she snapped all the time, which is very much like Kath. Mm. And when we first see her, she's sitting with her hands clenched in her lap. And Kath does that all the time. So I don't think that Kath is crazy in the same way that her dad is crazy. I think that she is more like her mother and that... She's just never gotten the opportunity to actually sort of assess it and draw that comparison because she hasn't had the exposure. I mean, let's think about it. She wants to leave things behind constantly that bother her. She doesn't want to think about the assignment. She was ready to leave UNL because it wasn't working out. Who else is just up sticks and left when things got difficult and then never looked back? Yeah, she can also be quite cold in the same way that Laura can be. Like, she keeps herself at a distance. She, Mm. yeah, I mean, it's not an either or, right? Oh, exactly. It couldn't be. But there's definitely a lot more of her mom there than I think she'd be willing to admit. And I think there's a lot more of their dad and Ren than Ren would ever really admit either. Yeah. Um, it was so interesting how Kath sort of unlocked all these memories when she saw Laura, right? Like yeah. she sort of blocked out all these memories and suddenly she remembered all these things. And we see a much clearer picture of, I think, just how highly strung she was how she wasn't really engaged with the girls you know yeah. and the relationship between art and laura and how fraught that must have been
open. Yeah, it just, there's something that really bothers me. It's about how she says, like, she tells her kids that she never wanted to have kids and that she wasn't meant for that life. But she's relaying this all to Levi and he's like, that's nuts. Like, he's basically saying, like, this is not appropriate or acceptable that she did that. Because there was no point in telling a child who is under the age of eight when she left all of these things about, like, how you're not wanted you know, I never wanted you or your mm. sister. Like, I shouldn't be married to your dad. It just blows my mind that people would ever say that to their kids because whether it's true or not, it's not helpful or kind. Yeah, it's not It's not good. Something that really got to me was on page 357 when Kath is reliving these memories. Mm. You know, Kath didn't even know their mum's name. Their dad called her Honey, strained, intense, and careful. Honey, and their mum called him Art. I don't know why that really got to me. That tension that comes through in that moment. Yeah. It's because her dad might be this incredibly flawed person, but he's always liked and loved his family. Mm. Whatever it is, he's thrown himself in wholeheartedly. He's an imperfect person, but he still wins best dad. And Laura can get in the sea. Agreed. Straight to the ocean. Do not pass go. Do not collect $200. Not allowed. Oh my gosh. Okay. So now that we've got all the unkindness out of the way... Okay, but can we give Regan the best line of the section award, please, for page 302 when she says, Yes, Bella, are you away? <laughs> we don't have to make it all about Twilight. Sometimes the text does too. Thank you. She's been watching Kath sleep like a creepy vampire. Oh my gosh. I just love it so much. <laughs> I also wrote lol on my page <laughs> next to that, so same sees. Um, yeah, starting with Regan, I think she's incredibly kind with her ground rules for dating Levi. Yeah, for sure. I love that she thought them up and then was just, like, she just had him stashed. And she couldn't wait to tell her. She was just sitting there waiting for it, being like, come on, we need to have this conversation. Let's do it. So good. And she sets such good boundaries. Like, she says, you know, Levi's my friend and you can't be jealous of that. And I think that is so important to just get that out of the way. But I feel like she's probably had this incident with maybe some of Levi's other girlfriends. Yeah, or part of the reason maybe why Levi hasn't actually dated someone else is because Regan is like Mm. such a force of nature and like thinking about all of the things that make Regan so great and all of the things that make Regan Regan um yeah she's stacked she's fierce she's hot she's mean yeah she's basically like a thirst trap in a person Mm. of course she's gonna be like threatening she's got that aura of I don't care yeah which brings me to another moment of kindness, which I don't really know if it's kindness, because like Kath, when she does start dating Levi, even though she's like, can we call it dating? I'm like, yes, we can. But she won't bring him up to the room if she thinks Regan's going to be there. And mm. I think, you know, that does come from a little bit of jealousy. Like she is jealous of Regan yeah. in a way that she doesn't want to really interrogate. But then is it also a kindness to Regan to like give them that distance to not like flaunt it? Yeah. But there was also that throwaway line how she's like, she didn't really like it when Levi sat there and talked at both of them like they were his girls. She was Mm. like, oh, that feels a bit like my dad and me and my sister. (laughs) I was like, oh, God. Actually, I don't think really it's jealousy of Regan. It's an insecurity of Kath, right? It's like an insecurity about herself and her experience and Yeah, because she made that rule for herself, didn't she? About don't compare yourself to Regan. Like that was on page 352. She made an additional rule to don't be jealous, which is don't compare yourself to Regan, which I think is really important because you can't compare people. They're all different. It just doesn't work like that. Mm. It's so tempting to, especially when you're young. Yeah. Yeah, it's not going to be the same with everyone. It shouldn't be anyone. 
way. If it is, then you're not going deep enough with one person. But I do think like Regan was really kind when she said, you know, Kath says, why did you bring him up here all the time then? And yeah. Regan says, because I could tell that he liked you and I really want him to be happy. And I think that is so kind because she's like kind of angry and annoyed at herself for like orchestrating this awkward situation. And she still did it because she knew that it was the right thing to do. I think that some of the best kindness we see is like Regan and Levi's looking out for each other and like just they're hanging around each other. Yeah. Regan helps Levi so much with his homework. Yeah. Like I could barely do my own homework when I was in university. I couldn't imagine helping someone get through a lot of really complicated stuff. Yeah, she's actually quite a generous person. But I do want to point out to something that is a kindness that was also kind of a missed opportunity for kindness, which is when she drops, she comes back to get Kath, drops her at the hospital and says, do you need company? And Kath says no. Once Regan to see right through but Regan's like okay and just takes off because she trusts that if Kath needs it it'll be either really obvious like how much she likes Levi or how helpless she is or she'll say it like no I need this or no I don't want to be friends I like that we weren't friends like you know Kath's really good at stating her boundaries but not very good at asking for what she needs so I think Regan has kind of confused the two yeah I picked that as well but I also thought that Regan is such a straight up person like you know where you stand with her Mm -hmm. so she kind of just takes you at your word so when Kath says no I'm fine she's like okay and then off she goes. Yeah. Whereas Kath really needed her to mind read in that moment. But she does also help Kath. Like, I love when she says on page 306, it's like watching a kitten with its head trapped in a Kleenex box. And then she makes a Simon Snow reference. And Kath's like, oh my gosh. And she's like, like, you're the only one who's read Simon Snow. Like, it isn't a global phenomenon. I love that. I love Regan. I love that they're well past the halfway point of the year before Regan admits she's actually read it. What a way to play it cool, Rumi. And of course, we've got Levi. Oh, yes. I was going to say, can we talk about Levi? Because he is so, so kind all the time. I think it was really important that they actually had a conversation on their first date about why he's so nice to everyone. Because Kath is like, but you're nice to everyone. Like, you give it away for free. You Mm. act like it doesn't cost you anything. And he's like, but it doesn't. Like, I'm more energized by being kind to people. She's like, does not compute. You know, just she, she doesn't get it. Basically, he gets his energy from being kind and interacting with and making other people better. Like, he's like a natural hospitality worker i love Mm. that i am also that person i love to make people feel better it is such a nice feeling and so yeah i I just like i also love giving smiles away for free but i can see kath's point where she's like "Mm, how am i supposed to know that i'm special yeah and that she has that line on page 314 where she actually says you know how is anyone supposed to know that they are special how was i supposed to know that you weren't just being nice and i was like you know you there can be a little bit of jealousy on kath's part as well because she doesn't want to share levi she doesn't want him to just give this away she wants to have that for herself it's it's such a precious commodity to her that she can't imagine he's not getting exhausted giving it to everybody so she wants it for herself but it's also like my sweet spot where i quite enjoy flirting with hospitality workers because there's always that moment where you're like are they just being nice because that's their job or do they actually think i'm hilarious i don't know and that's great i love it i love that i don't know This is perfect for me. It's like no stakes. I can flirt and move on with my day. Oh my gosh. I saw someone was like, don't try and banter with us. We're just going to make your coffee and move on. And I was like, when I worked in hospitality, even if I had worked like four shifts in a row and I had eight hour shifts and like had called in or covered for people and did clopens, which is not something you were supposed to be able to do, but happened a lot. I was still excited and happy to talk to people. Like even in the worst mood, I could turn it on and it made me feel better to do it. Like I loved the banter. If you don't love it, if you can find another job, go for it. Because people like me actually do enjoy the banter and the flirting and trying to remember their drinks and their names to match them up. Like some of us actually do enjoy that. I think you can read it as well. Like, you know, I don't do it with everyone, but 
Sometimes there is a natural rapport and someone is bantering back or they make a comment about Absolutely. something that you're doing and then you can like flirt to your heart's content because there is a back and forth. If For someone sure. is just like, what do you want? Not looking at you, looking at the register, then fine. We yeah. don't need to talk. That's fine. I, we have a cafe near my work where we literally go, we don't exchange words. They just put our orders through, we pay, we leave. Yeah. Like I put my own I took put my own amount into the FPOTS machine and swipe my own card. Like <laughs> no words are exchanged. It just depends what that. you want on mm-hmm. the day. I just wrote really want to say that there are some people out there who are like target cashiers and just love to chat with you and like the checkout people at the grocery store some of them do love to chat with you um but yeah there are levi's in the world who are just nice as default and really enjoy it and i love that that is a thing that exists yeah i also don't like the implication that coming back to the customer service thing it like implies that customer service is just a stop off but for some people customer service is genuinely a career path like for Mm. some people that is something that they're going to do for the rest of their life so I don't like when you were at a restaurant or something and people like oh why is that man still working in hospitality like hospitality is just something college students who do it's extremely skilled labor I like I really don't understand why it's not paid better because it is some of the hardest work you will ever do in your life and to be really good at it is hard Mm -hmm. and I don't understand why it's so devalued to the point where it's like oh it's only for like you know high school kids no what what is happening anyway no it's really not like I can tell you right now that sitting in an office for a major media company and doing nothing and ending up getting so bored that I read the entire Twilight series was more (laughs) well paid and less hard work than like any of the like fast food or hospitality or like tea shop jobs I did literally Mm. every job I had that was a minimum wage job was so much more work not having to stand all day in the first place. Oh my gosh. You get really good at picking those good shoes. Well, okay. So Levi's nice. We love that he's nice. I also love that he just wants to do things for people that he cares about. That's really lovely. But do we need to draw a distinction between being kind and being nice? Yeah. I often say be kind, not be nice, because I believe that being kind comes from like a genuine desire to do the right thing and connect and to be gentle always. Whereas being nice is like going through the motions in my mind it's performative yeah and i think that actually levi is kind and he sometimes does do his kindness in a performative way he's almost radically kind i would say i feel like he goes out of his way like the fact that he thanks the bus driver by name because he was wearing Mm. a name tag like that's an extra step that he takes because he can and that might feel like a liberty to some people Mm. but he's so open that i don't think anyone ever begrudges him that right no how could he he's so adorable i mean i know we're biased and we do love levi but like He's so lovely. Um, can we talk about the laundry basket thing? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I love how, like, both wrong and right he was about this. <laughs> Women have been oppressed forever. If I can make their lives better with my superior upper body strength, I'm going to. <laughs> Levi. Levi, no. Stop. I do love that he's like, what's wrong with being chivalrous? Um, I enjoyed that he said, you know, I know you're capable of carrying this, but I'm not capable of letting you. I think that, you know, he was quite clear at saying, this isn't actually about you. This is about me. Yeah. I need to do this thing. And it's not that I don't respect you. It's just, <laughs> it's just my worldview. This is just what I need to do. I wouldn't be able to live with myself if I let you carry this laundry basket. Even when they first met, he was like putting her boxes on the bed for her. Like this was before he'd even like said who he was. Mm. It, it literally is just who he is he's the door opening guy he's the carrying stuff guy he's the i don't know going to get you a coffee even though it's a 10 minute walk away oh in negative five degree weather which is really cold i just want to talk about how he was checking her ears for frostbite oh. i don't know why that passage has passed me by every time but it just killed me this time he was like touching her ears like not too bad um 
I just love everything about that date. Like, he's so kind the whole time. You know, he sits in front of her on the bus, which I think is so good. Like, he just reads her anxiety. He, like, tucks her scarf in. He touches her ears, like you said. And then he, like, he pretends to, like, want to show her something in order to take her hand and then doesn't let go. And then they have this great talk. Like, all of it is just... He's so kind to what she needs, even without her asking. Yeah. And I love that he wasn't willing to let that misconception about who he was stand either. Like, I thought yeah. that was really important. Then he was like, do you really think I'm the kind of guy who goes around kissing everyone? Like, what gives you that impression? And she's like, you literally flirt with everyone. I'm glad he does, because that really annoyed me. Like, she kept bringing it up in previous sections. She'd always be like, he's probably off kissing someone. I'm like, he won't be doing that just because he kissed <laughs> one girl. I know, it's so funny. Probably found another blonde girl to wrap himself around. I was like, just chill, Kath, chill. She's so obsessive about it. But I kind of love that she was, like, acknowledging that. And I think that's just because she feels a bit possessive of him, right? Like, she doesn't mm. want to share him with the world. And all Levi does is share himself with the world. And she's like, can you not instead? Yeah, save that's who he is. for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And there's going to be a point where she has to realize that, like, he's not giving away the best of himself or saving the best of himself. He just is that genuine with mm. everyone. But he's he will put her first. And, like, this is – we're not going to see it in this chapter because it happens next chapter where he basically turns around where he's, like, almost got to his hometown and he still just, like, turns around right away and comes back. He drove her back when her dad was in the hospital even though they hadn't talked in weeks because of the thing. And, mm. like, I mean, he is just that guy. He is that guy. I did like that he was so stressed about driving her in the snowstorm. And then he says, you know, if it was just me, I wouldn't have thought twice about driving in this. But because he had her there, he was so worried about it. Has ever a blizzard conversation been so tense and amazing? And she she was doing the thing where he was so distracted she could get away with more touching, mm. which is like her reading fiction. I thought there was kindness in the way that she treated him then when she was like kissing his hand and like she gave him that big hug at the end and like you were absolutely not driving back in that absolutely not mm. like no 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 like she's kind of brusque about it but she's still very firm because she cares about him like she's kind in her own way I also thought it was funny that Levi was like your dad's gonna be so mad that I drove <laughs> you in this and Art doesn't even know he's, he's like, like oh is, is it snowing outside <laughs> And then he says, your dad's a madman. And I just love that. It's so cute. Levi is so cute. When he talks about her bedroom being like, some, someone ate Simon Snow and then threw up in here. And then she's like, I like it. And he says, I never said I didn't like it. And I just, can I love him anymore? I, I don't think I can. It makes me feel sick. It makes me feel sick. Because you love him so much. Like, yes. how, how is this person sick? Oh, like he's so adorable and i just people love like this sunshine exist. yeah yeah he's for like he is a real person i'm sure that there's a levi out there who is like this like that he exists in the world i bet your son's gonna be like this he's a little ray of sunshine holy heck he he is very much that if i could get him onto the noticing other people in his environment then we are <laughs> he would 100 be like that cute okay that's my goal for raising my kids the other kindness i think and it's the only time we see kind mentioned in this top in this section mm. is professor piper because mm. i think it's kindness that she is willing to mentor kath 
and also that she talks her through her fears. Like, she really yeah. takes the time to walk her through it. And, you know, Kath says on page 324, it was really kind of you to offer me a second chance, even though she's intending to turn it down, and then she, like, changes she her mind at the yeah. last second. She just can't do it because she's being offered this connection, which she so badly wants. And even she's, like, cynical about it, right? She's like, oh, this is obviously because I have a thing about moms, and, like, am I going to be swoony <laughs> over middle-aged women until I am one? Like, she's disparaging to her. She's not kind to herself about it. But she can't really resist that opportunity for a connection. Yeah, and then Professor Piper makes a really good point where she's, you know, Kat says, I don't have worlds in me. And the professor says, well, loads of people don't. We're not all Gemma T. Leslie. We don't mm. write, you don't have to write fantasy. And, you know, she says, I pick my life apart, try to understand it better by writing straight through it. And I would argue that Kath already does this. When she writes yeah. Simon and Baz, she's already writing through her own feelings. She's just not cognizant of it, I guess. Yeah, it's not intentional. Professor Piper is talking about doing something much more intentional, much more deliberate. But I think that when and if Kath actually begins to do that, it will blow everyone out of the water. And I think that's why the professor is pushing her toward that. I actually think that that relationship, that like kind of tough mentoring relationship is really, really important. Mm. I also love that Kath kind of lets it slip that she's read her books. Yeah, you write them. historical fiction. I think there were a couple of moments where Kath wasn't very kind to herself. That mm. was one of them where she was kind of being down on herself about it. And then there were moments when she was really grumpy at, like, Levi, and she got annoyed when he made her laugh. Yeah, there's a moment where she says she's not ready for the goodness of him or something like that, yeah, right? Yeah, like, she's kind of still dwelling, and it's hard to cajole her out of that. And then, um, like, the way she talks about the girl that gives her rides to Omaha. <laughs> oh, yeah, that laughs, was mean. So mean. She goes home every weekend to see her boyfriend, which is probably a good idea because she's boring and awful, and he's bound to meet somebody better if she doesn't keep an eye on him way harsh ty she is super judgmental though which is i think what bonds her and regan right because they go down and judge everyone which oh, yeah. is a bit like me and my friend meredith <laughs> we go around judging people all the time it's never right to judge people so i'm not going to justify my behavior like i hate the fact that i do it but it's also not real like i'm not judging people for who they actually are because i don't know them it's just like nonsense for a bit of a lol I hear you. You know, it's still not kind. I'm just the annoying angel on the shoulder going, but what if they really like that band and they're wearing that shirt? Or what if they have a dead relative who gave it to them and it's precious? I am the angel on the shoulder always. But I've taught myself to be like that because I'm also very judgmental in my very secret heart of hearts. So I think we all are. I want to be kind. I was kind of mean in the way that Kath is and I did not want to be mean in the way that Kath is. And I've turned myself into Levi over time. I've just forced myself to be kind over and over again because... The feeling I get from being kind is so much better, but it is harder. Yeah, I always have to remind myself being like, you don't know what everyone else is going through. You yeah. only see a second of their day. So yeah. don't get annoyed at your colleagues. You don't know what's going on in their personal lives. I love Kat's dad teasing her. It might not have been particularly kind, but I do love that she was mm -hmm. like, <clears throat> so do you still want to pack it all in and come back home and live with dad? She was like, so I'll just make you breakfast. I thought that was great. I loved that. I love how chill art is with Levi being there. And, you know, Cass says, oh, he's used to guys Boys. being around. <laughs> and then she's like, because of Ren, because of Ren, obviously. I just love that Levi was so polite to him. Yes, sir. Sorry I took Cather out in this, sir. <laughs> also, Levi talking about his mum just cracked me up. He's like, have a prayer circle going. And when him and Regan broke up, she raised her palms. I mean, I didn't want to say it because I also grew up Baptist, but yeah. <laughs> I love that. Pregnancies run in families. Um, yeah, <laughs> that's how it works. That's what makes a family. <laughs> like having more children. 
And then Regan brings it up as well, being like, I would, you know, come along to see you meet her. Don't worry, I broke her in for you. Just love that. It's such a big sister thing. Oh, it's so funny. And like, I just love it because Regan's so out there that obviously Kath is not going to have the same experience, right? Like, she's just going to be like quiet and polite and not say anything. And everyone's going to be like, why does Levi like her again? She's so quiet. She doesn't do anything. Whereas Regan is just unapologetically herself. Oh, that was a great... Oh, yeah, when she says, you know, why are you here? Why aren't you with the pride of Arnold? I just love that. Everybody does love Levi, though. He is kind of the best. Um, Should we talk about identity a little bit? I thought that there was quite a bit in this section. I, again, saw quite a bit with, you know, the the relationship between Kat and Ren, of course, Mm. and how that forms their identity. I think one thing that struck me is it's actually quite alarming how long things have been broken between Kat and Ren. Because on page... What is it? Page 305, she says she wished she'd talked to Ren about Levi before they'd started fighting, which would have been last year before Kath had even met him. So she's acknowledging now that actually things have been bad for way longer than just going to university. I don't think that's on Kath. I think that's on Ren for not just saying that I'm going to need to set these boundaries and here's what that's going to entail. She just does Mm. this stuff and then gets shirty that Kath's not like immediately accepting of that when she knows her and she knows that she's not going to be accepting of that think about it for 10 seconds and realize that you can't just put these requirements into a relationship where the other party is Mm. not flexible or going to be able to cope without support yeah and then she goes on to talk to levi about ren stealing kath's juice which i thought was so interesting Ah. you know on 309 she says kath didn't tell him that sometimes she felt like ren was still taking more than her fair share of life like she was siphoning a vitality off kath or like she was born with the bigger supply. I think that is so telling about mm. their relationship. Like there's this little bit of resentment that Kath doesn't really dip into, but that just bubbles away. I think it's the perception that things are easier for Ren than they are for mm. Kath. And I honestly think that what happens in at the end of this section where Ren is hospitalized for alcohol poisoning is where Kath realizes that actually Ren is broken and she has just mm. said that she's not broken, but she 100% is not able to cope or continue on in a healthy way. Yeah, she's been pretending, putting on a front. Yeah, Kath has been so caught up with the obnoxiousness of it that she hasn't been able to sort of parse out the details of it and kind of get to the compassion. Because when you're hurt, you're not looking at the other person going, okay, you've hurt me, how can I help you? You're just going, why are you hurt? hurting me and what is wrong with you to make you do this like we have a trust here and you've broken it Mm. I think that's really important that she's going to get this opportunity to really assess things and see what she needs to do she takes Ren at like face value right Mm. she just expects if there's really an issue Ren would tell her about it so when Ren just is like dismissive or mean she just takes that as like oh she wants to be mean she wants to be dismissive because she doesn't believe that there's an underlying issue because she would think that Ren would talk to her about it I get the feeling that in their fight Kath was like chasing 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 and then she finally got to the point where she was like forget this and then when Ren was trying to fix things Kath was not open to that Mm. because she had just decided like I'm done yeah and how very Laura like right yeah I immediately saw that parallel here's an interesting parallel for you the insidious humdrum and Kath and Ren right Mm. the shadow version of the self that takes all of the the magic or the vitality yeah I'm what's left exactly that drains and consumes and gives nothing back. And is identical in stature. Hmm. Interesting. Very interesting. I love that Kath has got some really clear boundaries about what she's willing to do in this relationship. And she also feels like, <laughs> just on page 320, she says, everything about Levi made Kath feel loose and immoral. <laughs> like she, just, <laughs> she feels like pornographically about his eyebrows. And I love this because when you are really into someone, all their dumb little quirks are like the best thing. Like, 
I don't think I've ever dated someone who was like classically attractive, but I still think that everybody that I felt romantic feelings for is like the best looking person because I love them. Therefore, Mm. I love the things about them. And the way that she feels about Levi's face just makes me incredibly happy. How nice is it that we get to see like a random dude just being celebrated for being a dude and being attractive? I know. I love that too. Boys don't have to look super cut and be like amazingly hot to be attractive. No, I'm actually anti-cut men in the general rule. You know what? Girls don't want fit guys. Girls want Dan Rad and sparkly hot pants singing She'll Be Coming Around the Mountain. I have had a lot of conversations about this recently because of Tom Daly. So as you know, during the Olympics, Tom Daly was being unbearably wholesome with his knitting, knitting all the time, but he's also incredibly chiseled. Like he has got such a chiseled physique. He has no business being that chiseled. He falls into a pool for a living. I don't think he needs to look that good. And it really offends me because I am hypnotized by his abs. And like, I am not into chiseled guys. Like it doesn't do it for me at all, but I cannot look away from Tom Daly's abs. And I hate it. Maybe you're seeing it as like the culmination of a job well done. He's an Olympic medalist, right? So therefore he works hard and he does a good job. And he's unbearably wholesome. And so the whole thing is just too much for my poor, pathetic little brain. And I've had this exact conversation with about 10 people. And I'm so offended by it. I think this is my problem with Bin Bonds. (laughs) Bin Bonds. Happy birthday, Bin Bonds. Happy birthday, Bin Bonds. Bin Bonds is ridiculously attractive and I'm almost annoyed about it. I'm like, why is your face so good? I hate this. Mm, This is how I used to feel about Jared Leto back in 2009 when my friend was really obsessed with him. And I find him insufferable. He is insufferable. But he does have a good face and it's really annoying. I think he peaked at my so-called life. Yeah, well, that was what we were watching at the time. It was so frustrating because I'm like, you are so annoying and I do not want to care about your face. And yet here I am. You just got to find the guy who looks like him and acts like Levi. Or just Levi. <laughs> I know Levi's so good. Anyway, I love that Kath has set these boundaries around the relationship. Like they're joking about how when I get you up to my room, because they don't mm-hmm. ever go up to his room, like because he's an adult and he is so kind to like not ever question or pressure her on this. Like he's just like, whatever works, like we'll hang out here. We'll hang out at the student union, like come to Starbucks. I love it. Yeah, he lets her lead. I think it's nice because she talks about how she and Ren, when they were little, took turns being bossy. And I just think at some point, Levi's taking a little turn being bossy, but it's like, he he has to do it in his own way. So he kind of cajoles her around with like, let me drive you to Omaha and let me take you to East Campus. Like he's not actually bossy, but he does kind of wheedle her to get her to try new experiences, I guess. Mm. I think that's all I have. I just... I just love how much she's obsessed with his eyebrows. I have other things. Okay. Three things. Okay. Firstly, there's a line on page 316 where she says, to really be a nerd, she decided you had to prefer fictional worlds Mm. to the real one. How do we, do we agree with this sentiment? Do we think that's what defines being a nerd? I don't know. I think when I was younger, I would have said yes. I would have been that person. But I like my life so much now, Jen, that I really (laughs) struggle to see how any fictional world could be better. There's no way I would go through any rabbit hole or or, or Hogwarts or anywhere if if I had to leave people behind. I couldn't do it. There's no way. I like it here. I think that in order to be a nerd, you have to like something enough to know stuff about it. I think that's fair. I Because I feel like it's unfair for her to say that Levi isn't a, a nerd. Later she says, you know, in the right light, you can almost be a nerd. But he beats her at Simon Snow's seen it. 
like he knows things like oh, he's so he smart. remembers things and i don't know why it feels like gatekeeping to me i guess is what i'm saying yeah. like it's being like you're not enough of a nerd to be part of this she's really protective of her fandom spaces in a way that i've seen in a lot of online communities yes and this is why <laughs> i don't get into fandom communities as you know like i just i am i am gina from brooklyn 99 with my headphones on <laughs> like enjoying fandom the show fighting in the back fandom fires going on in the background yeah exactly i am i am donald glover walking in with pizza and everything's on fire and i'm just like what <laughs> i stay out of it because it's too much like i love big the better parts of fandom but i can't i can't get into the drama and the stashes i don't have the energy for it like i'm old and tired and i have kids to raise guys like if this is an argument about whether we think jenny is good or not i'm just not interested i have my opinion and i'm okay with it yeah, I think that is fair enough. Like I said to you earlier this week when I was texting you, I'm like, I've started so many comments. Like I often start writing. I'm like angrily typing a comment and then I just halfway through go, no. What's the point? Delete. I'm not getting involved. But there are parts of me that because I'm in a lot of meme pages and I send you meme pages, just like earlier this week when I sent you that one about Harry and Draco. And this person commented being like, oh, I wonder what it would be like if Harry had comforted Draco and in the bathroom I'm like has this only occurred to you now and also do you know that fan fiction exists like there are literally thousands of fanfics about this exact thing and you're just like oh imagine if this was a thing but that person would probably describe themselves as a fan and as a nerd right but yet they're completely unaware of this entire world of fandom yeah and you saw this a lot with Game of Thrones, where people who wouldn't traditionally have been classed as nerds were suddenly really into this fantasy show. Yeah. And it was this weird like balance between, but now that it's cool, are you still a nerd? Bit of gatekeeping from Kath here, and I'm not yeah. really into it. Yeah, I'm, I agree. It's not very kind of her. But I also love that Levi is just willing to go with it, like because it's lower stakes for him. This is what really gets me, is he wants to be part of it. So I think one mm. of the greatest expressions of love is saying to somebody who makes any kind of art, like read me your stories I want to hear what you're doing like play me your song show me your painting mm -hmm. this is what love is it's paying attention to what the other person does for fun and joy it's the truest expression I think is giving people time your time for something that maybe you're not passionate about and that's what he does so like who gives yeah. a flying fig if he's a fan he's a <laughs> fan of you Kath he's in the Kath or Avery fandom that's enough so cute anyway <laughs> um thanks for reading that bit about the the rabbit hole and the preferring or thanks for reading the bit about preferring a fictional world to a real world because i thought that was a really important distinction that was one of the things where kath said that she she knows that ren would follow her there mm. and i loved that and it made my heart hurt yeah because even though they're on the outs they still have this commonality yeah like she won't call her about a boyfriend but if she found Oh, door in the a back wormhole. of her. Yeah, if she found the door in the back of her closet, she would. There are some people who I would probably like that I've stopped talking to for various reasons. That if I found something they'd love, I would probably be like, I am going to send them that text right now because this <laughs> reminds me so strongly of them. Um, the other thing I wanted to talk about was this idea of being a stylist rather than a writer. Mm. So on page 332, like, Kath has just spoken to Levi about this conversation that she's had with Professor Piper and how she doesn't know how to create her own worlds. And Levi says, there are different kinds of talent. Maybe your talent is interpretation. Maybe you're a stylist. And Kath says, you think that counts. And he then says, Tim Burton didn't come up with Batman. Peter Jackson didn't write Lord of the Rings. I take issue with all of this. <laughs> 
<laughs> Firstly, do you disagree with Levi's premise? I don't think there's a difference between being a stylist and being a creator. Like Tim Burton may not have come up with Batman, but he has certainly come up with many, many worlds of his own. And the same with Peter Jackson. Like, okay, so he didn't come up with Lord of the Rings, but he came up with an interpretation of it that didn't exist. And also he came up with his own original work before that. I don't know. It seems derivative to say that just because they're working with a property that already exists, it's somehow not as valuable or somehow not as original because the interpretation is still creative yeah I mean I've been reading a lot of older texts lately having looked at different people's translations there is absolutely a huge difference and I found this with the Odyssey as well mm. Emily mm-hmm. Wilson's translation which was so different than like the famous male translations yep. but there's a lot of this interpretation that is required of a creative person when they're translating a work and I think you see yeah. that with Kath's work like it is gen- like to me this is an argument against the transformative nature like she's not a stylist she's a transformative writer yeah it's a transformative text but that doesn't mean it's not creative or not new or doesn't have anything unique or new to say like it just feels Mm. very derivative to say that oh you're a stylist like and she says you know I just move the pieces around and that's absolutely not what she's doing she's creating real emotion real moments that don't exist something in me really rebels against that it's more than that like Levi has the right idea like he's starting in the right place but he's not fully into the nuance of it yet yeah like he's trying to reassure her but he doesn't really understand the scope of what she's doing or what fandom is, really. Or what writing is, right? Like, he's not a creator himself, so. Yeah. The only other thing I wanted to talk about was just, Kath is so compelled to finish Carry On before the eighth book comes yeah. out, right? So what is the deal with that? Do you think, because she says she has to finish it before Jimothy Leslie pulls the curtain down or whatever the line is. Is she going to stop writing after the eighth book comes out? Like, is she going to stop creating her own fanfic? Because it feels like she she almost thinks that this she's on limited time. Like, she's on borrowed time. I kind of wonder if maybe that's like an unconscious goal she set for herself. That's really interesting. I hadn't thought of it that way, but you're absolutely right. It does seem like she's racing to an end. Yeah, because she says on page 317, Kath had to settle it her way first. I felt like she wanted to win and she wanted to have the first last word. Do you know what I mean? Mm. I felt like she wanted to write the book that she feels the series should have ended with, which I can completely relate to. It just feels no way to me like she wants to have the last word because she wants to end it on her terms. But then by saying that, that implies that it's ending. Like it implies that she's going to be done with it. Like this is it. Even though she can write other fics, it just doesn't feel like she's going to. There wouldn't be another carry on in her, maybe. Hmm. Wouldn't that be kind of the right jumping off point for becoming a writer who writes original fiction? Yeah, I totally think that, you know, if she never wrote another fanfic again, fine. I just don't think she's thought of, like, I I want to know if she's thought of it like that. You know, if she has already decided in her head that she's going to be done. Because when she talks to Professor Piper about writing, she doesn't. It sounds like, oh, I'm going to write Simon and Baz forever. But when she talks about finishing Carrying On, it feels so final like it feels like the story is just going to be done I just found that really interesting so you know when you complete a project and you're like oh I'm I'm done and then you have that weird moment of like grief and sadness and like Mm. I recently finished something basically finished something that I'd been tinkering with for a long time and I was happy with the ending and I was like oh man now I can't tinker Mm. I felt a bit gutted about it so I wonder how she's gonna get if she gets to that end and she's like oh where do I go from here? I've finished it. Because I think there will be something that she isn't anticipating, some sort of ending that within her that she doesn't really think about. Something to watch for, maybe. Yeah. As she talks about writing going forward. Did you have any in-depth marginalia this week? So I picked the bit where they decided, after their first date, where Kath is talking about, on page 315, she's talking about how Levi 
never really asks, can I see you tomorrow? Hmm. He never said, can I see you tomorrow? Or will I see you tomorrow? It was always when and where. And he basically just like becomes part of her daily life. And let me just say, this is so much better than dating. Just be friends, Hmm. hang out, and occasionally hold hands while making jokes about how ugly a garden is in the middle of winter in Nebraska. I'm here for this. I've said it a billion million times that I don't want to date someone who I'm not friends with already. So if we can hang out all the time and like be friends, that's like the best part of it for me. Mm. When I think about this for myself, that was the moment when I was like, oh, I really do love Levi because he just keeps showing up. Yeah. And like he works around her and he works around her boundaries. But he's like, I'm not letting it go when and where. What I really want to take from that is that being present is more important than like the how of it. Mm. He doesn't say how. He just makes it work for her. But he is always there. And just like Kath was saying about how she needs to work a little bit on Simon every day to keep the flow of the story, Levi's in there with her every day, working on the flow of their story. And I love that. It's a callback to the text itself, but I just loved the parallel so much I couldn't let it go. I love it. How about you? Did you have some in-depth marginalia? I did. So mine is on page 306. Regan and Kath have just had a conversation about Levi and they've set their rules and they've gone down to dinner and then Regan is trying to give Kath pointers on what she should do on the date, right? Kath says, he already knows what I look like, Kath said. There's no point in being tricky about it now. And I love this because, you know, Regan is trying to, like, get her to spruce it up and, like, take her hair down and make a bit of an effort. And she's like, no, because I don't think she wants to look, like, she doesn't want to look like she's trying. She just wants mm. to exist, right? Like, yeah. so she's very conscious of this. And it just reminds me of The Devil Wears Prada, which I know you haven't seen. But there is a moment where... Andy is in line at the the cafeteria and this guy, Nigel, who's amazing. Oh, actually, no, he comes to her desk and he tries to give her some shoes to wear. He's like, oh, I guessed your shoe size. And she's like, I'm not wearing these. You know, Miranda hired me. She knows what I look like. And he's like, do you? And he's really (laughs) judgy about it. Because it's just this running joke that she's got terrible style and she's not into fashion. So everyone's always teasing her about it. But I just love that moment where people are trying to level you up despite your own objections to it. And I think, you know, I always get very annoyed when I see women on dates in town and you can tell that they've really gone all out. You know, they look amazing and they're with some guy in baggy jeans and trainers with a hole in them. And I'm like, what have you done? Why have you not made an effort? But this woman is dressed up to the nines. So I think there is nothing wrong with trying. There's nothing wrong with trying something new. Like, yeah, wear your hair down. It doesn't mean anything. Or don't if you don't want to. But... You know, I just think sometimes just leaning into it and trying new things doesn't have to be a big deal. I think Kat should wear her hair down. I think she should too. And this is coming from someone who is constantly fighting about having long hair. It's easier to put back in a ponytail, which is why it's long. Yeah, well, this is what my hairdresser says every time I say, oh, maybe I should grow my hair out. He's like, why? So you can put it in a ponytail and like, fair point. Look, I love that. I love that Kath's not willing to be tricky, but I also kind of think that's just laziness. Yeah, I think just, I I think it's fear. I think she doesn't want to try because she doesn't want to fail. Like she doesn't want to try wearing something else because what if she looks stupid? She doesn't want to try doing something different with her hair. Like it's it's actually fear holding her back and she hides behind this veneer of like, he knows what I look like. But do you? I love that Regan's like, this is insider guy information. He is shaving right now. And then every time after, 
that Kath notices his cheek. She mentions how smooth it is. And I'm like, Levi shaves every day, every day. Like, it's not fun to shave every day. So the fact that Levi MVP is out there shaving every day is beautiful. (laughs) What a catch. Hmm. (laughs) On that note. (laughs) Who would you like to spotlight? Um, yeah, so this week I'm going to spotlight Kath because I feel like she had a really rough time. We end on such a, a difficult section. You know, we end with her mom basically walking out on her again. And this is what she was afraid of. It's 100% what she was afraid of. She didn't want to see her mom ever again because she, she knew that her mom could leave all over again. And then it happened. Mm, like her yeah. worst fear about that relationship has been realized. Um, so yeah, I just want to spotlight Kath because you know what? She survived it. It sucked. And she hated it, but she survived it. And I'm really proud of her. And also, she said all the right things. And she stood up for herself. And yeah. I'm really proud. Yeah, she was amazing. <laughs> she was amazing. Um, How about you? Who do you want to spotlight? Oh, I'm going to be predictable. And for the third week, I think it is in a row, like, spotlight Levi. Because I am obsessed with him. He He's is so good. so good. He is, like, just good. She, even Kath says it, you know. she He is just so good. And she doesn't want to lose him. Like, he is yeah. good to his core. He is so kind. He is so patient. He just lets her lead and he doesn't push. And he's just there. He's just present. He's just so unfailingly interested in her dumb interests. And I am just... (laughs) That's the dream. My kingdom for a person like this. (laughs) It's so... Like, he's just so into her. He just thinks everything about her is so wonderful. And she's like, what are you doing? (laughs) I love it. And it's just like... With no strings attached. He has no ulterior motive. He is just there and he just likes her. And I'm just, I, I'm obsessed with him. I love him so He's much. He's like John Corbett in My Big Fat Greek Wedding, where he says, I just want to spend a little more time with you. Like, talk about killing me. Like, talk about ruining all of my romantic mm. ideals. Like, just getting a guy who cares enough to want to spend time with you. That's like, oh, that's actually it. It's just pure of heart. I do think that level of pureness will get annoying after a time, but I just like I'm gonna spotlight him for it anyway because yeah, it's hard to he be so kind in a cruel world, and he really tries. He's just a really beautiful human. Oh yeah, next week we'll be reading chapters twenty nine to thirty two through the theme of attraction. It's gonna be good. <laughs> it's gonna be great. I'm very excited about next week, but I won't say why just in case. But I'm very excited. Amazing, and we're almost like we're just you know steamrolling towards the end here i know it's gonna be it's gonna be really sad i love this book so much i'm glad we're spending all this time with it it's so joyful this is the best well you're the best jen thank you so much for potting Aww. with me you're the best thank you for potting with me i think this is exactly what we need in these trying times so if we were gonna be stuck in lockdown if we were gonna have to cope with delta variant at least we get fangirl to get us through it right yeah levi will get us through He'll carry a little light and light our way. Yeah, he will. And he'll be cheerful about it. Amazing. Amazing. Well, can't wait for next week. I know it's going to be so good. I'll see you then. See you then. Bye. Bye. Thanks for joining us today. Marginalia Pod is written, edited, and produced by us, Jen D and Jen V, with additional editing and production support by Simon B. If you enjoyed it, we'd love it if you'd subscribe, rate, and review it on iTunes. Your support means the world to us. We'd also love to hear from you. You can email us at hello at marginaliapod.com. Our music is by Scott Buckley. Many of the things we've mentioned are in the show notes, or you can find out more about us and the podcast at www.marginaliapod.com.